Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to Sienna Miller, Rupert Friend and Michelle Dockery about their scandalous new Netflix show, Anatomy of a Scandal, and how it hits very close to home for some of the cast. I also chat to actress Kelly MacDonald and director John Madden, amongst others, about the gripping new World War II drama Operation Mincemeat, about a dead man who changed the course of World War II. Plus, Mark Royal reviews The Northman, and the Lost City. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Although this week, if you're listening on the radio, it is on at 7pm an hour later. Good weekend to you all. Happy Easter. Hope you're doing well. I don't want to start the show again talking about Everton Football Club because I did that last week. And that was a aberration. This is not a sports show. You've had hours of that already on News Talk. But some people got in touch pointing out my plea for Everton to do better work last week. So, you know, we've a game on Wednesday, lads. If you're listening again, keep it going. It was great. Anyway, to movies and TV. And this week I was watching this. It meant nothing. It was just sex. Nothing's just sex. There's more. You're not telling me just to tell me. To unburden yourself. The story's about to break. Now that's a clip from Anatomy of a Scandal, which landed on Netflix this very week and is now available for you to stream. It's a psychological, gripping courtroom drama where Rupert Friend, the great Rupert Friend, you know as Peter Quinn from Homeland, plays a senior politician in Parliament and he is a loving family and wife, kind of idyllic family. His wife is played brilliantly by Sienna Miller and he's caught in a romantic affair an affair comes out but then it takes a pretty dark turn, that affair, and he goes to court. Now the barrister who's going to prosecute him, Kate Woodcroft, is played by Michelle Dockery of Lady Mary fame and of course other things, Lady Mary on Downton Abbey. And it's a really good piece of TV. It's a six-parter. Kept me watching the whole way through. Sienna Miller, uh, who had her own fair share of issues with the press and scandals and uh, has come out fighting and went to war with the press about phone hacking and stuff. And Rupert Friend play the two leads. I got to talk to both of them this week. And I should say, as the interview began, they were laughing about something I wasn't privy to. Have a listen to this. Sorry, John, Sorry. two seconds. That's okay. If you want to tell a joke, you're going to be able to play this reaction. It would look really funny. This Irish guy walks into a Netflix. No, wait. Sorry. There you go. It's John Farty from News Talk Radio in Ireland. Lovely to see you. And I hope it was funny, whatever whatever it was. Yeah. We're so childish. And there's something about a junket situation that just, yes, we'll give you it's a little bit of hysteria. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's all good. That's all. Listen, the show is great. And uh, the testament I always give a great show is that me and my wife were watching it. And despite three small kids kept saying, let's do one more. Let's do one more. Yeah. And so yeah. it was great. Sienna, I read this fascinating thing you said in the Radio Times recently, the magazine of records. So I'm sure it's true that lately the roles you're doing seem to be unpacking your own psychology, which was kind of a fascinating thing to say. And I'm wondering if in any way Anatomy of a Scandal does that. How long have you got? Because that's a, it's a deep one to sort of touch on. Um, you know, it was it was sort of meta in some ways to be playing a woman who is facing something that's public that she doesn't want to be sure with publicly. That's something that's just a huge part of my story. I wish it wasn't, but it's out there and people have drawn parallels, understandably. So to kind of be back in that situation and and respond from a different perspective was just interesting. Yeah. And Rupert, you know, you do a kind of self sense of self entitlement really well in this yeah. character. And I, I've yeah. seen you do that before, but really well in this. And I'm cognizant of the fact, you know, in British politics, more and more, there seems to be people talking about that in upper echelons of power, a sense of the rules don't apply to us. Were you struck maybe, but maybe you weren't, I'm just asking about possible real world parallels between your character and what's going on in the world? Yeah, I mean, we deliberately didn't want to base this on any sure. one 
politician or even any any living politicians it is a, an amalgam and i think it is more of a cipher for it for what you just said john of this kind of this idea of one rule for us and the rest for the all of you proletariat kind of thing um which is becoming increasingly prescient the more the news unfolds we're seeing that kind of play out and i think it really comes from a, a sense of entitlement that means people never really think the rules apply to them that they never really imagined that anything that they've done could be conceived as wrong yeah yeah good point sienna your character has kind of development in it as well she grows and there's a particular scene where you go to visit his mother and you can see the wheels changing and we don't give any spoilers or anything but when you got the script you know you probably thought once you got into it man there's meat and potatoes in this there's meat and potatoes and a bit of veg I think. <laughs> literally <laughs> go on a food metaphor um no absolutely you know when I first started reading it I was kind of like why would I want to play this this person but Sophie has she's got edges to her and she's really on a journey of self-discovery. And I think women of, of my generation grew up in a very different world to people even 10 years below us. And I think that Sophie's understanding what she, in the world in a new way and, and trying to really open up her eyes. Whereas her mother-in-law Tuppence played by the incredible Phoebe Nichols mm. is, is a character who's very much set in the world and, and in the ways that she imagines, you know, that she was raised. There is a patriarchy and she doesn't question it. Sophie's, in the middle of, of real questioning. And I, I did find that exciting. Yeah. Rupert, just really quickly, uh, my favorite living director is Wes Anderson. And I saw you recently in the French Dispatch and I see you're doing more things with him, a, a couple of things. Uh, is, is he the genius? I, I think he is. Yes. Good. <laughs> Correct answer. <laughs> He's someone who pulls the most wonderful dreams from his mind and then makes them real. And if you're lucky enough to get to enter that world, it's it's quite phenomenal. Yeah, wonderful. And yeah, Sienna wants me to put in a word to bring it back to food. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me think. For, for, let me give a sorbetto to end here and cleanse the palate. Oh, I love it. oh you're perfect for us. Thank you. Thank you. The the first movie I ever reviewed on the radio was Factory Girl, and I always remember you were so good playing Edie Sedgwick in that. I'm just wondering, are there any particular memories of that? I know it was a long time ago, but you were you were great as Edie Sedgwick. It lasted with me a long time that film. It was really a fascinating world to dig into. And I got to hang out with people, the, the people who were still alive, who'd been a part of the Silver Family. Yeah. Such an interesting cultural moment. And they all, obviously the stories were incredible. I, I look at that film as my college years. I didn't go to university, but all of us were living in a Marriott residence in on the side of a motorway in Bossier City, Louisiana. And Jimmy Fallon was in it and Jack Houston and yeah. Tara Summers and all these wonderful people, and Guy Pearce, obviously. And we were all just running around this, it was like being at university. It was it was the most fun. Wonderful. Well, this has been a full course meal, even though it's been short. Thank you Thanks. both very much. Thank Thanks. you. Cheers. Yes, Sienna Miller and Rupert Friend there talking to me about the new Netflix show Anatomy of a Scandal, which is now available to stream for your viewing pleasure. Uh, really fun people to talk to. Used a lot of food analogies with them there. I'm a food-orientated kind of fellow, you know, so... Food pops in my conversation. Now, as I mentioned, Michelle Dockery plays the barrister in this who's prosecuting Rupert Friend's character or taking a case against him uh, to do with this affair that he's had. And the woman he had the affair with, who was in his staff, is played by the actress Naomi Scott. She was in Aladdin a few years ago. She's a great singer as well. She doesn't sing in this. She is great in this as well. So I got to talk to Naomi Scott and Michelle Dockery. I read a thing, Michelle, the other day that the three best words in television at the moment are David E. Kelly. Uh, did you have that sense that you heard you might be up for this and you thought, I got to be part of this. This guy makes great TV. Absolutely. Um, I think he's really struck something with these characters, you know, from Big Little Lies to The Undoing and mm. now to this. I think um, he... And the, and the audiences out there have really sort of latched onto it. Mm. Um, and and I and also have to um, give a huge shout out as well to Melissa James Gibson, who you sure. know, co-wrote this this show. Um, and I think the adaptation of the book is brilliant, but it's something about these, you know, these watching these sort of privileged lives imploding. Yes. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> people have really re find really entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and and of course, there's so many other issues within this show. 
um but that's something that that he does really mm. well at um and i think does incredibly well out in this show i think it, it, it will do the same yeah absolutely naomi you're you know it, it's very watchable and everything but as michelle points out there's a lot of serious stuff in here you're and i don't want to give any spoilers but your your courtroom scenes are powerful uh and they're really intense at times and they're you know I suppose nearly the the meat and potatoes of the show in a way because a lot of it hinges on what's said in that in that box. Was that intense to film? I know these things take a while and all, but were there particular days where you're going into work going, "Poof, I gotta get ready for this." Um, it's a good question. I, I I definitely had to learn how to conserve my energy, when to conserve my energy. Levity is really important, and having those breaks and having a laugh, mm. and because you can't remain in that state for you know too long or oh, i i can't maybe some people can but <laughs> i wouldn't be able to keep that up um and so and then also the fact that those scenes were shot we shot them like a play like it was literally yeah. you know 15 minute long scenes that we had mm. um uh, which which i think really helped with the kind of natural trajectory trajectory can't say that word um of of where you know emotionally where my my, my olivia was at mm. um and then just just walking out on set um the I mean the set was incredible it really was like you were in you know a court a courtroom and that was that was nerve-wracking I remember the first time you know walking because it does start with you know she walks out you know you're not already there it's, it's the whole lead up it mm. was really really nerve-wracking and I think for me that realization of kind of as an actor who is um doing their best with this role um and and how it was scary for me how much more terrifying it I, I can't even imagine how terrifying it is for someone who has to um in front of a court retell their trauma to sure. a bunch of people who are judging whether they're even telling the truth or not yeah. I, I mean I, I can't even imagine what that's like so um so yeah it, it was it was intense at times but um some reality tv you know in, in the evening <laughs> bake off yeah. bake off is my is my my go-to also um <laughs> i think me we binge watched um oh what was it called not love not love island um love is blind oh no we've definitely we binge watched that <laughs> you watched it no it was not to handle do you want to handle your what oh, i didn't hear God, what, what you said temptation island oh, temptation oh, island yeah. that's, uh, that that's one probably the most trashiest one. yeah that's that's oh, that probably is, that's, yeah. that's, that's down there, mate. That Crash is with a capital T. I was going to say it's up there. You said it's down there. But anyway, let's yeah. not get into that. Either, yeah. Michelle, I spoke to Dan Stevens. I spoke to Hugh Bonneville. And on both occasions, I was saying, don't ask about Downton Abbey. Don't ask about Downton Abbey. And then these people are in front of you. And you just can't not because you pop up on the screen and it's like, oh, my God, there you are. Are you still surprised by just the life that show is continuing to have? I am. And I and I we're still doing it. I know there's a new movie coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to mention that. But. It's the gift that keeps on giving. We're still doing. We, it, we, we the film's coming out in like I know time. Yeah, so, I, I wasn't um, sure if I should bring it up in a Netflix junket, but anyway, it's fine. Oh yeah, it's fine. go for it. You're the first person to. <laughs> I doubt I am, but anyway. <laughs> well, listen, I should wrap by saying uh, Anatomy of a Scandal is a fantastic show that I binge watch. Talking of binge watch, oh. in a night and a half, not just because wow. I knew I was interviewing, because that's how relentlessly entertaining and thought provoking it is. So thanks a lot oh, for talking you. to me. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Bye, nice bye, to meet bye. you. Naomi Scott and Michelle Dockery there talking to me about, well, Downton Abbey, but ostensibly Anatomy of a Scandal, which is now available to stream on Netflix. And it's a gripping six-parter, a good length. We've discussed this many times on the show. Uh, we don't like them too long, and that seems to be the, the general consensus among our listeners. So that is available to stream on Netflix. After the break, more stars, including Kelly MacDonald, Penelope Wilton, all sorts of people talking about a great new World War II movie called Operation Mincemeat. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. I'm John Fardy. And if you're listening on the radio, we're coming to you at the slightly later time of 7pm this week. Now, take a listen to this. Our progress to date, Major Bill Martin is an industrious chap, occasionally forgetful, habitually tardy, but also clever. I mean, that's brilliant. And he's not good with money, so we should include an overdraft letter in his briefcase. And is he happy? Is he a happy man? He wants to be. He started out with such promise. 
sense of hope about, about the world, about his future. Now it all seems dark, uncertain. He is in the middle of a war. Exactly right. He signed up for the Royal Marines. But once commissioned, was consigned to a desk which he despised. Because the life he really wanted was one of daring and intrigue. And so he escaped and he switched to the commandos where he distinguished himself in technical matters. Specifically the mechanics of landing craft. Yes, and he predicted that the Dieppe raid would be a catastrophe. And how right he was. He sounds like a character from Sir John's latest novel. Masterman is writing a novel. A spy novel. Apparently he thinks of me as his muse. Well, then he may be in for a duel because you're Major Martin's muse now. The girl I was at 20 is his muse. Nevertheless, it's your photograph that will be pressed to his heart when he washes ashore. Yes, wallet litter is what you are. <laughs> Not as in rubbish. That's just spy parlance for the bits and pieces that one finds in one's pockets. And do I have a name? Pam. Yes, now that was a clip from one of the big new movie releases of the week, Operation Mincemeat. Now, in 1943, the Allies came up with a cunning plan to basically get the Germans to think that they were going to invade Greece as opposed to Sicily, where they were actually planning to invade. And they did this by finding a dead body in a morgue, making out that he had drowned off the coast of Spain, and they created a whole new character for him, a man called Bill Martin, even though he was actually this poor homeless man, a Welsh man who died. They got this body and they gave him a whole backstory and they pinned, as you heard in the clip there, a picture of his supposed beloved lady who they called Pam. Now, that was actually the well-known actress Kelly MacDonald there. And in the clip there, you heard some of the main protagonists of the movie. You have Colin Firth there, who plays an intelligence officer, Ewan Montague, Matthew McFadden, known from Succession, plays another intelligence officer. And there, as I mentioned, Kelly MacDonald playing Gene Leslie, who's one of the special operatives. And you also heard the great Penelope Wilton there playing Hester Leggett, who was one of these operatives who were all dispensed to this underground little room in some admiralty office in British intelligence. And they came up with this ingenious plan that, you know, I don't want to spoil the movie, but was pretty successful, as as you'll know from a quick Google away. And the movie is all about the planning of that operation and how it pans out. And it really is a fantastic watch, I have to say. It's a great two hours of edge-of-your-seat entertainment. And the planning becomes incredibly stressful and suspenseful. It's a it's a brilliant movie. If I was reviewing it with Mark Ryle, I'd be I'd be close to five stars on it. I absolutely loved it. Now I mentioned Penelope Wilton there. She's the great English actress who we shared a bench with Ricky Gervais in Afterlife. She was the other person in mourning. She's been in Downton Abbey. She was in ever decreasing circles all those years ago. She plays Hester Leggett, the head of this kind of people down in this basement trying to get all this information together for Operation Mincemeat. And Kelly MacDonald, who I mentioned, plays Jean Leslie, who's was one of the operatives. And they used her picture to be the one that was attached to this poor dead man's body that washes up. She has a little possible romantic attachment to Colin Firth's character. So, first up in my chat, you'll hear me talking to Penelope Wilton and Kelly MacDonald. Hi guys, John Fardy from News Talk Radio in Ireland. It's love to see you Ireland. both. Ireland. Yes. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> this is the Irish jury saying the film's very good. Uh, Kelly, if I can start with you, I, I had this weird moment this morning where I was just looking around online and I saw this photo of the lady you play, Pam, yeah. you know, the actual photo that was found in this poor guy's body all these yeah. years ago. And I, and I got this kind of uh, almost, you know, I, I nearly welled up and, I, and I'm not even in the movie. I, I imagine this was a deeply moving experience, the whole thing, considering what it's all about for you. Yeah, I mean, it was a great it was a great film to be involved in for all the the reasons that you can imagine like working with these great actors and an amazing director and but the story really does speak to everybody and um and I think to be able to play Jean Leslie who who like you say that photograph is incredible isn't it she mm. looks a bit I think like Betty Davis like you can imagine if the film had been made you know yeah after the war Betty Davis might yes, have played absolutely. that absolutely um but yeah she um these were real people and yeah. nobody knew what was going to happen. They didn't know if this plan was going to work. And um, it would have been a very, 
exciting room to be in. It sure would have. MI5, yeah. Yeah. And Penelope, you know, you're often, sometimes your characters are described as the moral centers of pieces uh, in, in lots of things you've been in. And I guess that's a compliment to how well you do moral centeredness or something <laughs> like that. But do you see Hester as kind of the moral center of this gaggle and group of misfits of men and women in this basement? I don't, I don't think she would have seen herself and I didn't play it. I, I didn't have that thought in my head. I play um, part of a group of people who were conspiring to try and fool the Nazis into thinking we were doing one thing when we were doing something else. Mm. Um, I think that uh, she she's she's uh, she's older. She's an older woman. Wiser. So she... Um, <laughs> I don't hopefully, but uh, I think she was she was certainly very committed to what mm. was happening, um, because as you get older, um, the actual romance of things isn't perhaps as strong, and you realize what would go the things that could go wrong if this went wrong, tens of thousands of young men might have lost their lives, and so it was very important to get mm. it right. But you know. They were clutching at straws as to try and find some way of making a difference so that the Allies could come up through Sicily and then make their entrance into Europe through through Italy. Yeah. And um, that, I think, is uh, it, 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 it is what she was she was about. And Kelly, uh, Penelope mentions romance there, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there is a whiff of romance in the movie. Well, it's a strong scent, maybe you might even say, uh, with with uh, Colin Farrell and yourself, uh, Colin Farrell, Colin Firth. Colin Sorry, Firth, Colin yeah. Farrell. That would be something different. So I've done if too many. Showing up as well. I mean, <laughs> that might have been a bit too much. Yeah. yeah. But it. <laughs> are you aware? Was that? Was that poetic license or was that going on in real life down in that basement where, where romance is beginning? Well, it's sort of tricky because the story is so secret anyway because of the nature of it. People weren't allowed to talk about mm. it. You know, we didn't know about this until the 1990s. And so that's, a. I mean, if we don't know the big stuff, yeah. we're not going to really know what you know about office romances particularly yeah. I think there was a flirtation possibly as yeah. there is in the film and and, yeah. um, and I think what Michelle's written really beautifully is how they all get carried away in different ways and um yes. and the romance of it um is sort of a, a huge part of the story weirdly you know this yeah. um um it's it, during war people work, working together in a very intense circumstances mm. become very close mm. yeah absolutely and i'm just wrapping now penelope i have to say i did the last two of these with ricky and the gang from afterlife for both the first two seasons and i never saw you on those because you weren't there for whatever reason so it's lovely to see you on this for a different movie but you were also absolutely wonderful in afterlife and the moral center of it again so <laughs> thank you both for talking to me today thank you the great penelope wilton there talking to me briefly about uh her moral centeredness in ricky gervais's afterlife but of course in operation mincemeat and also kelly mcdonald there who's also in operation mincemeat now operation mincemeat is based on a book that was released in 2010 written by a man called ben mcintyre who i actually spoke to back in 2010 who you'll you'll hear me reference now because you're going to hear me chat to him and also the director of Operation Mincemeat, John Madden. Now John Madden is a great English director who's done everything from the, the exotic marigold hotel movies, Shakespeare in Love and the great Mrs. Brown as in the movie with Billy Connolly all those years ago. So he is serious uh, skin in the game when it comes to making movies. Here's my chat with the writer of the book, that's Ben McIntyre, Operation Mincemeat and its director John Madden. Ben, if I could start with you, you won't remember this, but 12 years ago, I guess it was, I was a researcher, a lowly researcher on this radio station. And I booked your book, which had just come out. Uh, and I said, we have to do this book. This is amazing. And, after, and the host was reluctant. And then afterwards, he came out and said, that was amazing. That guy was great. That story was incredible. 
they should make a movie about this. <laughs> and that's a true story. We have so you to thank for it. Well, well thank you. You know, we, we, we'll we'll discuss retainers later on. We'll that's just throw on what we But what what I'm wondering was, you know, when you finished it and it was submitted to the publishing house and blah blah blah, did you have a sense like some down time down the line this should be a film? Well, you dream, don't you? I mean, you. I mean, I. I, I in my fantasy world, it couldn't have worked out as brilliantly as it has. If I, yeah. if you're asking me, did I think it would, I'd ever be sitting here next to John Madden talking to you about a film that is about to be released? No, even my, even my extreme fantasy didn't go that far. But, yeah. but no, it's been a fantastic joy. And there are, well, John will address this. There are, there are wonderful filmic elements to this story, partly because the people involved in it. I think they weren't necessarily conscious that there was a film camera going behind their heads the whole time, but they knew that they were creating something that was an, an imaginative reality and they played up to it. So in a way, they themselves created their own characters via fictional characters. And so I think there is a sort of filmic element to it that's mm. deeply embedded in the story itself and intentionally. Yeah. And John, when did it come across or come into your wheelhouse? And, and when did you get green lit, so to speak, in terms of your own, I want to do this? Well, um, I mean, there's a sort of, uh, you know, a paper trail that involves uh, somebody who bought the right to Ben's book, Charles Cohen, who uh, then set about seeing if he could find somebody to write it. Uh, Michelle Ashford, the uh, actual screenwriter, approached Charles Cohen, when he realized that he had the rights to it, she realized that he had the rights to it uh, and basically said, put her hand up and said, I'd like to write a screenplay of this. At that exact moment, Michelle and I were working on a different project together, a pilot for a series uh, that Michelle was the showrunner on. And uh, she gave the book to me and said, would you like to make a film of this? Because if you do, if you would like to, I, I, I can promise you a, a, a cracking screenplay, which is quite audacious of her. Yeah. Uh, Ten years later, here we are. Yeah. Uh, not, not quite that much. But anyway, I, I mean, um, to me, the, the particular element of it that, that I responded to, and certainly Michelle responded to as well, is that it's about storytelling. Mm. And, and that just seems such an incredibly unusual way into a war story i suppose yeah um uh, and quite uh, unusual and quite uh, extraordinary and and you know with so many different tones in it it just seemed a wonderful world to explore and ben is it true that thanks to your book or largely in part to your book this story is now known like had it almost been folklore up until you pulled all the strands together oh well when i was a boy and I first came across this story it was really a legend mm. I mean it was it was sort of one of those myths of the second world war that one was sort of faintly conscious of but I never really believed it I thought it was it must be fictitious although I do remember thinking very early on gosh if if even quarter of this is true it's a cracking tale yeah. and then the official archives were declassified it's one of the great changes in British life actually has been the declassification of mm -hmm. secret espionage material starting in 1996 that nobody ever believed would be released so that present presented me with this incredible opportunity to really go in and and sort of take apart that rather black and white two-dimensional story of that that, that were sort of partly inherited yeah. and, and tell a story that is much more complicated much more densely real much more the stakes even higher than than anyone had ever realized yeah. john you know this poor man and i don't want to mispronounce his name but i probably will because my wench is Linda michael thank you it seemed very it was obvious that you wanted to give him his dues uh, that he had never gotten was, was that one of your motivations uh, absolutely uh, i mean the, the 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 beating heart it's a completely inappropriate metaphor yeah uh, i understand <laughs> is that character um because uh, you know the, the 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 casual word well let's start with the easy part and find ourselves a corpse is a, is a um a line that you and montague says yeah fairly early on <clears throat> which they imagine would be a simple straightforward thing but actually once they'd figured out what the specs were it turned out to be incredibly difficult mm. and this man who had no life 
yeah. um, who, whose life was extinguished in obscure circumstances, possibly suicide, possibly just hideous accident, mm. was given a, a new life, a fresh life, a fictional life, which became absolutely crucial, uh, a life that every, everybody had to believe in, in order for the idea to work. And that seems so rich to me. And uh, Michelle, very early on, had wanted to start the film with that character. Um, uh, we, in, in the end, didn't do that, but we placed that character at the center of the entire thing uh, and found an interesting way into that because of uh, Chumley's yeah. um, sort of connection to that character and the sense of how he identified with him and so on. Uh, and I suppose the fact that it, the movie ends with him and with the reality of that character in a grave that he mm. never expected to be in yeah. with uh, an extraordinary history and an extraordinary you know, result in terms of this massive world conflict. Uh, that seemed quite amazing to me and, and became, the, uh, I suppose, the magnetic north of the whole story. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the ending and Ben, maybe, maybe for you, like I, I found the last 20 minutes really powerful. And, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like a disservice to it, but at times like almost a Shawshank redemption kind of that feeling of poof. I know it's hard with the director sitting there, but, you know, we talked about 2010. You must be very happy with what's ended up on screen. Oh, I'm absolutely delighted. And it's, and I, I, in a strange way, it is a sort of vindication of Glyndora Michael, who, mm. who would, you know, who would never have, not a vindication, I don't know quite what the word would be, but it is possible, I this film and the book, but the film particularly demonstrates that it is possible to fight a good war with lies, mm. that it is possible to use deception to achieve great ends. Yeah. And that wars, while they are obviously about guns and bombs and bullets, are also about imagination mm. and lateral thinking and ambitious amateurs doing things they never thought they would do. Yeah. And that warriors do not have to be butch figures in khaki storming beaches, although those are important. You yeah. can also fight a war when you're dead. And that's yeah. a, that's a, that's to me, that's a really strange, but yeah. very powerful thought. And I find the last, scenes of the, of the of the movie extremely moving yeah i find the thought that inside that grave there is somebody whose whose reality was sort of invented if you like yeah yeah it's fascinating and there, there's loads to say on that but we're running out of time but i quickly just want to go back to john and ask him there's so much to your career we could spend days if both of us had the time or the inclination but i just have to ask about mrs brown and for listeners i don't mean the one by brendan o'carroll i mean your fantastic <laughs> movie uh and what I still can't get over, and I'm just wondering about how it came about for you, was the casting of Billy Connolly, because he it's a powerhouse performance, and I don't know, the best thing I think he ever did on screen, outside of his comedy and all. Was that a risk for you at the time, or did you just believe Billy Connolly has the power to do this? Well, I, you know, I think it was a, a risk for him, but not a man who's ever, you know, not uh, embraced risk. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and it's a funny paradox about Billy is that he was, you know, completely fearless in terms of his public persona. He didn't really give a damn about walking out in front of 5,000 people with nothing in his head other than <laughs> what he says after hello. Um, <laughs> and, and, and then suddenly confronted with a story uh you know which was which required him to speak lines that weren't his own to act opposite you know uh, 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 an actress that is sort of a peerless skill and and charisma and that he didn't really realize until we got into it how how unnerving that was and one of the first scenes i shot with him in that film was the scene where he presents himself to queen victoria who is uh, you know, basically summoned uh, mm. her, him to her presence because she's in deep mourning and yeah. uh, really in a kind of prolonged nervous breakdown. Uh, and uh, Billy found himself completely paralyzed in that scene. 
Uh, and he said to me, I'm putty in your hands. I remember what he kept saying. <laughs> and I proceeded to do my best to try and, uh, you know, mold that putty. But the truth is, something right at the center of who he was, was the character that we were creating. And the, the absolute uh, unapologetic authenticity that he had meant that um, he, he found his kind of uh, true balance with the character he's playing opposite, Judy Dench, uh, you know, playing Queen Victoria, was so powerful that actually it started to take care of itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, look, these things are always a risk. And certainly during that scene, I thought, oh, my Lord, how are we going to do it? He had one line at the end of that scene, which was a killer line. Before that, it was, I mum, no mum, I mum. And his, like, the final line he had to say was, I never thought to see your majesty in such a state. You must miss him dreadfully. Yeah. He, knew that, he knew that was the money line. And when we got to it, I went, whoa, hang on. We're not and, in Kansas. And actually, it was a matter of unwinding him and getting to the point where he could trust himself to say that line simply without any sense of the weight that was on him to deliver it. And, yeah. and of course, he got that from Judy. He got that from the way uh, she played it. So yeah. that was a real voyage of discovery for us all. And... Uh, you know, it's a testament to both of them that they ended up such incredibly good chums. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm way over time. That was a fantastic movie. So is Operation Mincemeat. And the News Talk Liars will be in touch about my retainer. So thank you very much. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, director John Madden there talking about Mrs. Brown. But ostensibly, Operation Mincemeat, a fantastic new movie. And you also heard me talking to Ben McIntyre there, who is the writer of the book that the whole story is based on and wasn't really known about until he got his teeth into it. Now, finally, I want to bring in my chat with Jason Isaacs, the great English actor who you've known from everything, playing the Harry Potter, playing Lucius Malfoy, of course. He was in The Death of Stalin. Great English actor. He plays Admiral Godfrey, who was kind of in charge, but wasn't entirely convinced about Operation Mincemeat. He's very good in it. And then Johnny Flynn plays Ian Fleming. Now, Ian Fleming, as in the writer of James Bond, was involved in Operation Mincemeat. There was a lot of actual writers involved in World War II and in spying and secret operatives who would go on to have careers as spy novelists. Johnny Flynn plays Ian Fleming, and I spoke to both of them for Operation Mincemeat. I've interrupted your talks about lunches and salads. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, nothing good. Not, uh, nothing to look forward to. Johnny, I watched you in two movies this week because I also saw The Outfit the day before I saw Operation huh. Mincemeat. So I feel like I know you nearly at this stage, given the week I've had. And I you're great. You're, you're great in both. Playing that one. <laughs> Thank you. But let's talk about Operation Mincemeat. Johnny, if I could start with you, you know, I was fascinated to see that you're playing Ian Fleming uh, and that he's the guy who went on to write all the Bond books and here he was in the thick of this amazing operation. Did you have to do kind of a lot of research, a lot of reading up to inhabit him or do you just rock into something like that? How did that work? <laughs> uh, this is where I reveal how professional I am. <laughs> I, um, I um, Brilliantly, Ben McIntyre, who wrote the, the book about Operation Mincemeat, yeah. which is the, the main reference for our story, um, uh, had also written, he's obsessed with Bond and Fleming, and he'd written this amazing uh, biography of the two of them together in tandem and how they kind of cross over and reference each other. Um, so that was really helpful. And it was a lot about his uh, his early life and his, his childhood. And I mean, he went to Eton like Bond and had this private education and he likes, you know, scrambled eggs. <laughs> and uh, there, there are, I think Bond is, I thought I could see that in a performance. Yeah, I could sense the scrambled eggs. Was, was, <laughs> I won't say what I was about to say. Uh, you could sense it or smell it. Sorry. I, I, um, Fart acting, they call it, right? There's a lot of, yeah, long takes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I didn't know much about uh, Operation Mincemeat or Fleming, uh, and I love um, old Bond movies, so it was really fun to reread a couple of the novels and to read Ben's book and to learn about the person who created that character that I love. Yeah, okay. And Jason, your character, Godfrey, I, you, what's your sense of him, his, his motivation, I mean? Like, you know, it was hard to tell if he had the interests of Britain at heart and he wanted to eco communism and, or was it one-upmanship and he didn't want someone else getting that? Like, how, how do you see him? 
how very interesting that that's what you took away from it. No, uh, John Groffey was a brilliant man. He's the basis, obviously, for Ian Fleming's uh, M yeah. creation uh, years later. Um, no, I may have gotten it wrong, of course. No, you, no, you, no you, far be it for me to say that you have completely got it wrong. But uh, no, that's you. You took from it that, and it maybe that's how I played it because in the moment I, he does let his ego get the better of him. But mm -hmm. actually, looking at the bigger picture and looking at the real history, which I was hoping to bring to the screen, but maybe my own ego got in the way. Um, <laughs> uh, he was running uh, double agents everywhere, and also yeah. running naval intelligence and running what was called Operation Barclay, which was the overall deception designed to make the Germans think that the Allies were going to land in Greece. So there were many, many other facets to it. They, they set up a fake base of operations in Cairo. They set up a fake 12th Army, fake infantry units, literally inflatable tanks. They did raids throughout Greece to look like they were clearing the ground for a landing. So Operation Mincemeat, this lunatic idea that he had previously been part of authoring, mm. that was dismissed, uh, he thought was too much risk on one operation. If it was discovered, uh, then it would mean all the other dominoes fell and the Germans mm. proceeded with the deception. So I have the unenviable task in the film of being the man who's, who's telling them, uh, let's forget this, it's a stupid yeah. idea, it's too risky, while the whole audience knows perfectly well where the, the film's yeah. going to end up. But it doesn't make him wrong. Yeah, I suppose. It's like, yeah. it's like telling someone not to put all their money on zero in roulette. <laughs> because it comes up, zero doesn't mean that you were wrong in the first place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yes, he's a, he's a dip, you know, these are big characters and the consequences mm. and stakes are enormous for the decisions they're making. He has more responsibility on his shoulders than Fleming, for instance, yeah. his assistant. Um, so uh, history is not, is not particularly kind to the version of Godfrey we see in the story, but he was a remarkable and brilliant man. And Johnny, you know, the, the strange dovetailing of events, here we are watching a movie about, you know, what was supposed to be the last war, you know, World War II, and here we are in 2022. And the world is back in a horrific conflict. Have you been struck by, I don't know, how, I don't want to say prescient, but how of the time a movie like this is, unfortunately? It's obviously terribly unfortunate to be in this current moment of crisis. But, we, you know, we made this film, uh, we, we finished um, filming in the beginning of 2020 before, okay. before the pandemic. So we, we had no, no inkling of, of what, was, uh, what was about to happen. And... Um, I think it, they're, they're two so totally different events, and I think they're very different wars. And the only thing that strikes me is um, how it's interesting to consider how differently these wars are being fought. But that doesn't reflect on the film as a piece of entertainment, and it's an yeah. interesting sort of um, memory of that of that war. And this current situation is is so absolutely different, and being fought. Uh, in, in in different ways and, and mm. so it's anyway I, I it's far be it for me to talk about it really but yeah fair enough fair enough jason uh just a long winding career uh there's lo loads of things i'd love to ask you about we, we don't have much time but the thing is i have i have a nine-year-old look back on no. my many, many long years and shows. Yeah, go on. <laughs> you've many more ahead of you and you look very well for oh, how long God. you've been there but i have a nine-year-old who you know whenever he hears there's anything to do with harry potter or malfroy or anything like that says you gotta ask him about this i'm just wondering oh. though the fact that you know that went on for so long and was so popular the harry potter franchise i know you're out of it now and you've been out of it a good while but do you look back on fondness for just the wild ride that was and i how can barely remember yesterday morning i don't know what i have for <laughs> breakfast you're asking me about something that i was last on the set in 2008 i think yeah mine um the thing about the harry potter films uh, you know joking aside is they're still going on not the films mm. i mean the, the memory of them you've got yeah. a nine-year-old wasn't born when the last film came i out. know i know uh, and so the books those brilliant books and the brilliant films uh will live in you know forever and it, it's the gift that keeps on giving because i get to bring joy to people literally just by standing there like a turnip in the room <laughs> you know just standing there like a cabbage and going he's the people, guy people brought to life and and it's 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 really because they, the worlds they create, so that, that world of inclusion and joy and mm. magic and fantasy and morality uh, are so evocative and will never stop being that. And most films, most jobs I do, I do because they're pleasurable when I do them. I forget about them. A couple of years later, maybe do a, a day or two publicity. But Harry Potter continues to give joy and I, I'm privileged to be a part of it. Yeah. And then finally, Johnny, just in terms of talking about other things people have done, I'm aware that you're a musician and I saw you 
last year, I can't tell with the pandemic or two years ago, playing David Bowie in Stardust. Uh -huh. That must have been just amazing for a person who's clearly a, a, a musician and it's a big part of your life to play the God that was Bowie must have been a great experience. It, it was a great experience and it obviously didn't come without its um, uh, pressures. Um, sure. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, the, the story that we told in that film was... Um, uh, him at a, a, a difficult yeah. moment in his life and a tortured moment. So actually, it wasn't always um, in a good way because we, that was the reality of the mm. story we were telling. It was a, it was a tortured uh, um, uh, experience for David, and and I was living that. So it was um, that's what it was. Um, yeah, but it it was it was a thrill. It was a thrill to play Buddy. Great. Well, listen, I better let you have lunch. Operation Mincemeat is a fantastic film and you're both great men. Thanks a lot for chatting with me today. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Johnny Flynn playing Ian Fleming and Jason Isaacs playing Admiral Godfrey in Operation Mincemeat, which is in cinemas from this Friday, April 15th. Up next, Mark Ryle on the other week's new releases. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now before the break we were talking about Operation Mincemeat as the big new release of the week. But there are two other equally big new releases of the week and they are The Northman and also The Lost City. Now beforehand we were talking to Kelly MacDonald and Sienna Miller and Rupert Friend. But really I've just been killing time till the main event. Our regular critic Mark Ryle, how are you? Oh lordy, yeah, um, yeah, good, yeah, good, good. Okay, so the Northman. I have I haven't seen either of these movies this week because uh -huh. I had to watch Operation Mincemeat, which I enjoyed. I had to watch the entirety of Anatomy of a Scandal, which I enjoyed. But it's just been a busy week, so the heavy lifting falls to you on this. But the the Northman is intriguing because it's by Robert Edgars, who was a guest on this show two years ago. I think kind of intense guy, certainly a unique filmmaker. What's going on in the Northman? It's Robert Eggers' third movie, mm -hmm. and it is, uh, it's a bloody Viking revenge epic, and it takes its inspiration from the same source legend as Shakespeare's Hamlet. Mm -hmm. um, it is set at the turn of the 10th century, and Alexander Skarsgård plays Amleth. He's the son of a Norse king, and as a child, he has to go into exile uh, because his uncle stages a bloody coup and kills his father. And then after spending 20 odd years pillaging and plundering, the adult Amleth discovers that his father's murderer has married his mother and is living in Iceland. So he sets out to take revenge and avenge his father. It's an everyman story, really. We've we've all been there. <laughs> well, it's, you know, Hamlet was Freudian and all that, so it, it, it lurks deep. But I, I had heard it was uh, loosely based on the same source material as Hamlet uh, in terms of the, the folklore tale of that. But what I've also heard about it is it's incredibly violent. It is. It's brutal. It's relentlessly intense. And mm. uh, I suppose it, it's 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 extremely unique. Um, there, there's an incredible energy to everything, and it's it's a trip. Okay, um, a good trip. It's it's a trip. <laughs> I like I, I I thought it was great. Um, Alexander Skarsgård, he's he's like a wild beast. He okay. gives an incredibly primal performance. Um, and it's it's more it's more animal than man, and it's often it's so relentless and intense that sometimes it crosses over into silliness. Okay. Um, but I think the biggest handicap facing the Northman is is getting uh, a modern audience to step into the mindset of of characters from over a thousand years ago, um, because the past is is a foreign country, and um, it doesn't really deal in, in clear cut notions of good and evil. Scarscar's Amleth has some very nasty attributes, and he does some very nasty things. And uh, Ditto, the 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 villain uh, played by Clay's Bang. He, um, his name is uh, Fjolnir. He he's not a hundred percent all bad either. So okay. morality in the Norseman, it's not absolute. There's the there it, there's a a primal killer be killed environment, and I suppose the character's muddy grey morals reflect that environment. So that might be a bit off putting for 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 some viewers. Yeah, interesting. Now I enjoyed his previous movie immensely, as I know you did. I think the Lighthouse. I interviewed mm. him. Yeah. Uh, he. I'm not breaking any secrets. His phone went off during the interview and he had to take it, he told me, <laughs> which was interesting. He was an intense yeah. kind of guy, but, you know, it, I certainly was respect it, his filmmaking. This is clearly an intense movie. Was it Nicole Kidman or Ethan Hawke on the phone? No, it was his wife. You're not okay. listening to me. 
<laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I have to get that. It's my wife. I was like, oh, okay. okay, I have 10 minutes. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking out of school here. I shouldn't really. But it, this, it's really intense, this film. It is, it is. Um, uh, it was shot up around Antrim in the same locations of Game of Thrones. Um, I think it was supposed to be shot in Iceland, but COVID meant that uh, plans had to move. Um, the action is is mind-blowing. Mm. Um, Eggers uses plenty of, of long extended takes, which I really love. Um, the battles are epic. They're meticulously choreographed with tons of extras and moving parts. And some of these are shot without without a million different cuts it it must have been a, a logistical nightmare but doing it stuff like that in one take it really is immersive and it puts you in the thick of it yeah um and there's a couple of what seem like impossible shots where the movement of the camera seems to be uh moving in a way that isn't possible um there's a shot here where the camera moves from land onto a ship and then back and you just think how on earth did they achieve that you know you, you could say that you shouldn't really be thinking about the camera at all when you're watching the movie um like you shouldn't be aware of it but i i disagree i think that's what cinema is all about mm, that's an interesting point we, we'll talk about that another time and so scars guard you really like what about the other players in it like yeah, nicole kidman uh, nicole, and... i'm not sure that Nicole Kidman and Ethan Hawke, I don't know if they were the best choices. There is more than a little hint of the, the Swedish chef from the Muppets going on here. <laughs> um, and they do, they, Kidman and Hawke, they bring star power, but I, I think perhaps the roles might have been better served with Scandinavian actors. Okay. Um, to be fair to Kidman, though, she's not really taking it entirely seriously. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. And just just to be clear, it, this is not going to be for everyone. Mm. Um there's a lot of men shouting. Um, men bark at each other a lot, often in place of actual dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, Alexander Skarsgård and Clay's Bang knock seven bells out of each other on top of a volcano in the complete nip. There are frequent forays into the supernatural realm of Viking mythology, uh, where Bjork is this blind seer and she talks Please gobbledygook Bjork, in a big hat yeah. made of corn. And um, there's a trippy vision quest where Willem Dafoe dishes out uh, flatulent producing hallucinogens. Eggers seems to have a thing for flatulence. So, I mean, it's not for everyone, but it's it's unique and it is, it's without doubt it's original. If memory serves in the lighthouse, wasn't William Dafoe farting? Because they were eating beans a, a lot, thing. weren't they? Yeah, I thought. <laughs> That's my memory of it. There was, there was yeah. definitely flatulence in the lighthouse. It's become it's maybe that was just the cinema I was in. I, uh... No, 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 it was there. All right, I do remember that. Yeah. But between between the witch, which is for his first movie, and the lighthouse, which I adored, which we just talked about, and now the Northman, it's really exciting to see Eggers building up such a strong body of work, and there's something really singular and unique about about all of his movies. Mm. And the witch and the lighthouse, they were both they were very bold and they were groundbreaking, but they were also pretty small and self-contained. And uh, the Northman is Eggers getting to play with a bigger palette. Okay. And he hasn't compromised in the slightest. And I really do think, uh, I think he's a visionary, you know. Okay, a visionary. Wow, I like the sound of this movie. And I, I already like Eggers. So I'm three quarters of the way there. So what would you say stars wise for the Northman? Uh, I'm going to give it a four. A four. Okay. Mm. And not a five just because it's it's a bit too much of a trip at times. It's not. No, I mean, I, I thought it was really good. I mean, it, it's not. It's not a masterpiece. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And we know you break out the fives rarely enough. So uh, don't worry. Not. Not. I keep saying not every child deserves a biscuit. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a clip for the Northman, which is in cinemas this Friday, the fifteenth of April. I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, father. I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. Why would you stow away to such a hellish place? To find what was stolen from me. And what is that? The kingdom. You must choose between kindness for your kin or hate for your enemies. Your strength breaks men's bones. I have the cunning to break their minds. And night by night, we will carry out my pledge of vengeance.
That's a clip from The Northman. Now, the other big release of the week is The Lost City, starring Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. Now, Mark, like it, I thought I've seen this movie a few times. Did you we have. not review this movie with uh, The Rock like three months ago, going into the jungle or something? No. <laughs> I've seen the, I've seen this movie many times. <laughs> no, but is there not a is there not another movie very similar to this called was, The Lost? I think it was that that was the that was based on um it was based on some Disney ride. Another one you're talking about with the Rock. What was it called? Uh, Fantastic Voyager. I can't remember what the. Yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. That um, was there was one with the Rock based on a ride in Disney, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what the title of that movie. But is was now. there not another movie with the Rock in the jungle? Like maybe Jumanji has elements of that, but yeah. Jumanji, yeah, yeah. Okay, but anyway, look, this The Rock isn't in this, right? He's not. No. <laughs> okay, um, good. But I mean, you've seen this movie before, going all the way back to the nineteen eighties. Yeah, I suppose I should say what it's about. Um, I'm going to use a mixed met- metaphor here. It's a fish out of water comedy that ne- never takes flight. Wow. Um, okay, flying fish. The the fish out of water. They are Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Bullock plays a highly uh, successful pulp romance writer and Tatum is her uh, if you like it's her Fabio um, he's the the nice but dim model that adorns the cover of all of her books in long blonde hair wig and okay. a bare chest and while she is on a publicity tour promoting her latest book The Lost City of D uh, Bullock's character is kidnapped by the quite possibly insane billionaire played by Daniel Radcliffe um, he is looking for a legendary artifact and thinks that Bullock's latest book holds the clue to its whereabouts. And hilarity, I'm afraid to say, does not ensue. So they go off to the jungle based he's on... He's kidnapped based on Radcliffe. Yeah. And then Channing Tatum decides he's going to go off and rescue her. Okay, and for in the, but they're in a jungle, right? They are in a jungle. It is. It was shot in the Dominican Republic, but it looks suspiciously like a soundstage. So okay. it was possibly shot on a soundstage in the Dominican Republic. And the law <laughs> the lost city then. They're they're en route to that, presumably. Uh the lost city is the title of her book. And okay. Then they are looking for yeah. It's 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 deep, John. <laughs> okay. It's really deep. Okay. So I'm sensing you didn't like this then. I do you know what? I, I it's it's impossible to to dislike it. Oh. But having said that. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Uh, obviously, it's not even close to original. It really draws very heavily on *Romancing the Stone*, yeah. which had a very similar story. Which uh, is a Romancing nice movie. The Stone *Romancing the Stone*. From yeah, my it's memory, fine. But that know. was 1980, 1984, 1985, yeah. I think. Um, that also was drew heavily on *Raiders of the Lost Ark*. I won't go into the, the influences of *Raiders of the Lost Ark*. No, no. Um, have it, look, if the title of this was *Romancing the Stone* and it was a straight-out uh, remake, I would have hated it. Yeah. That would have been awful. But like it's just but instead it's just it's incredibly below average. Um as I said, it's really difficult to dislike it, and that is mostly down to uh Channing Tatum and particularly Sandra Bullock. They're both brilliant com- comedic actors. Yes. And I think Sandra Bullock, Bullock particularly is very funny. Yeah, yeah. Bullock, she she really has uh, funny bones, you know. Yeah. And uh Tatum, he's always game for sending up this reputation he's got as a muscle bound beefcake. Yeah. And putting putting them together wasn't the worst idea. Yeah. Um, although the setup is not especially original, it's it wasn't a bad idea at all. Unfortunately, it falls pr- pretty flat, and the script really is not up to scratch at all. Okay. Okay. Um, so below it, average, but they're very charming in it together. So yeah. What? So the, the thing is that it would have been so easy to make this funny. And okay. it wouldn't have taken much effort at all. Just a couple of more passes on the script and a bit of polishing. But it's never laugh out funny. Not okay. even once. Not okay. even by accident, which is quite an achievement. Yeah. Um, now, I will say that I did watch this at a pressure, which wouldn't be the most enthusiastic crowd that you could get, <laughs> even on the best of days. But the room was a dark Wednesday morning. Exactly. Ugh, that's the I low didn't, level at those. Ugh. I didn't hear one laugh. Yeah. Um, I think at best it's mildly amusing and it's mildly amusing from start to finish. I'd say that it is committed to mediocrity and it takes that commitment very, very seriously indeed. Okay, so what are you going to say stars-wise for The Lost City? 
Um, I'm going to give it two and a half. I mean, okay. It passes the si- time, and it's probably suited to watching on a plane or something like that, where it's not your your main focus of attention. There is an extended cameo that's that's the high part of the movie. I don't know whether I should say who it is or not, even though it's in the trailer, and it's I think it's in most of the publicity. Who is here. it? Uh, Brad Pitt. And is he good? Up. He's brilliant. Okay. It's definitely the, the the high point, but it's an extended cameo that could have been a bit more extended, and okay. it's all over almost as soon as it began. Okay, okay. So that's two and a half for The Lost City, uh, according to Mark Ryle. And who else would you listen to? Let's face it. And he gave a four to the North, <laughs> the North Man. So uh, not a bad week for Mark and on screen time, where he is the resident critic. Mark, thanks a million. Thanks, John. That was Mark Ryle there reviewing The Lost City, which he gave two and a half to, and the intriguing new The Northman by Robert Edwards, which he gave a four. That is it for this week. I'll just thank Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. Remind you that this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm on Newstalk, although it was on at 7 this week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a very happy Easter, and I'll talk to you all next week.